0: Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Sustainable Minerals Institute at the University of Queensland, where I'm talking today to Associate Professor Kim Rungi. She leads the separation group at the Julius Krishnit Minerals Research Centre, or the JKMRC as it's known. My name's Alice Clark and I'm the Deputy Director for Strategy in the SMI. Kim, before we get into the conversation... Could you explain what the separation group does and how it fits into the um, Sustainable Minerals Institute? Hi Alice, thanks for the introduction.
1: So the JKMRC is one of the six centres within the Sustainable Minerals Institute at the University of Queensland. And the aim of this centre is to do research on mineral processing. And we've been doing that for a very long time. Now, one of the distinguishing features of the JKMRC is its strong links to industry. Alvin Lynch, who was the founder of the JKMRC almost 50 years ago, he believed in doing research on mine site and solving mining problems. So the separation group is one of three at the JKMRC, and our particular objective is to look at separation technologies and how to improve or utilise novel ways of doing things to produce step change for industry, either to reduce energy use, to use less water or be more profitable basically to better service the needs of society by facilitating the production
0: of metals in the most sustainable, cost-effective way possible. Can you talk a little bit about where mineral processing fits into the broader value chain in mining operations? So mineral processing is the art
1: of transforming rock that you take from underground that might assay 1% to 2% of the mineral you want and transform it into a very high purity metal. And we do this basically using three overarching principles. First of all, we liberate the minerals from each other. And we do this using very large tumbling mills filled with steel balls. where We crush the material into bug dust. So we have separate particles of one mineral and another. After we liberate the minerals, we then separate them. So we separate minerals into a high-grade stream and a low-grade stream. The high-grade stream, we then send off for further processing, and the low-grade stream, we send off to tailings dams or we dispose of them, usually in tailings dams facilities. So as the world continues to industrialise, there's an increasing demand for metals. And how the mining industry has coped with this increasing demand has been to get bigger, bigger machines, bigger equipment, bigger tailings dams. But you can only get bigger for so long. And now as we move forward, if we're going to meet the demands of society, we're going to need to start doing things smarter. We're going to need to process with less energy, less water, with a smaller footprint. So we're trying to do research around facilitating this change. An example of one of the exciting new technologies that we've been researching is is high voltage. High voltage is electricity, it's akin to a lightning bolt, and we can use this to smash up rock. So instead of using these large tumbling mills that use a vast amount of energy, in fact, it's estimated that we use about 1% of the world's energy to grind rock, We can use electricity to smash up these rock particles instead. Now, one of the good things or the the interesting properties of electricity is that it's attracted to metal. So what we can do with the high voltage pulse processing is that we can, you've usually got, when you bring up rock from underground, probably about 99% of it that you don't want and 1% of it that you do. And that's the metal. So... With the high voltage processing, when we apply it to that rock, it will selectively target and break that mineralisation and leave the gang or the material that we don't want unbroken. So after this has occurred, we can then use screens, for example, to put the material through it, the undersized material, the material that is broken, we can use the mineralisation and it can go over off for further processing. And the oversized material we can actually get rid of at this really coarse size before we've spent a lot of energy to grind it down. One of the other interesting characteristics of high voltage is that as it breaks the rock it creates a lot of micro cracks as well as as the lightning bolt moves through the material and what this what these micro cracks do is they reduce the energy we will need to break this rock downstream. So what high voltage pulse allows us to do is to reduce energy use, potential and comminution by only selectively breaking the rock that we want to break. And two, by creating micro within that structure. As we do that.
0: Are you collaborating
1: um, with any groups as you, as you're moving through this? So yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about this technology. And at this point, We've demonstrated how this technology complied in the laboratory, but there's much to be done before we're going to be able to scale up and apply this technology at large scale at very high throughput. So there's, there's a lot of things that we need to do. And, and we've got a lot of interesting ideas about how we think we can do that. And we've teamed up with the Hust University researchers who are specialists in high voltage to answer and to try and achieve that objective. This project is being sponsored by industry with the likes of companies like Newcrest and
0: Newmont funding the work. That's a fantastic uh, opportunity and great collaboration between universities and industry. It's certainly something to keep an eye on for the future. What other technologies are you and your team working on?
1: Another exciting technology that we're looking at is coarse particle flotation. This is particularly endearing to myself as I'm a flotation specialist. So flotation is, the, is a process that we use to separate minerals and it's used in a number of different industries. We use it to separate minerals in copper operations, gold, silver, lead, zinc, nickel. And the basics of the process are that we grind this material down to, to bug dust to about 100 micron in size. We put it in a tank, we stir it up and we add bubbles. Now, we also add reagents to make the metal or the particles that we want hydrophobic. And what they then do is attach the bubbles as they rise to the surface, we collect them on the surface and the gang material that we don't want remains in the tank and floats out at the bottom of the tank. Now, this process usually is only effectively performed at a particle size of about 100 micron. And this requires a lot of energy to get particles down to that size. There's an exciting new technology. It's a teeter bed based technology in a device that's called the Hydrofloat Machine. And what this technology allows us to do is float material at a much coarser size, in the order of one millimetre. So, this is a real game changer for us in terms of what it might mean in terms of a mining operation. But it's really new, and there's a lot of things we don't know about the process. So, for example, what are the reagents we now, that will be best supplied in this coarser environment? What's the best design of machine? How should we operate it? Where should we put it in our circuit? So what we've done is we've, we've pulled together a consortium of mining companies to help fund some of the research in this area, where we're aiming to try and answer some of these questions.
0: So we've discussed your research um, over many years now, and in the past, you've talked a lot about the fact that you and your team bridge that gap between fundamental research and industry, and this is, of course, on the path to developing those applied solutions. Could you give an example of where your team has actually delivered on this goal? So I think an example that I can
1: describe is in the area of flotation chemistry. So in flotation, we add reagents to make surfaces of the minerals we want hydrophobic. And there's not been much development in flotation reagents over the last few decades. And that's because the reagents that we use are pretty effective and they're cheap. Why change something that works? But the problem with these reagents are they're not very selective in some circumstances. Example, if you have a lot of, if you're trying to float off your chalcopyrite, your copper bearing minerals, and you have a lot of pyrite in the ore, both of them float with the types of reagents we use. And so, therefore, it deteriorates the the quality of the concentrate that we can produce. So, what we need are are reagents that are much more selective as we move into much more complex ores that are much more difficult to treat. So, in terms of trying to, to help industry with this problem we're pretty much scoured across the University of Queensland and we've come up with a number of new exciting t- techniques or reagents or chemistries that are being developed in alternative industries such as medicine and agriculture and these different chemistries have the potential to be much more selective than the reagents that we've been using currently. So we see that that our role is to take these chemistries that are being used and being developed fundamentally for other industries and see how best we can apply that in the mineral processing world of, of trying to separate minerals.
0: So that industry impact is really important and not only to the academics but also to those that are on site and who are learning so much by working with your team and as you've around this subject of collaboration and cross skills, can you expand a bit on the importance of having that strong team so that you're able to look at these new and novel areas? What is it about a diverse range of skills that will solve industry's problems in the future?
1: So I've been the leader of the separation group over the last four years and One of my priorities as coming in as group leader was really to build a very strong, diverse team. So now I've got people in my group who are flotation specialists, people who understand technologies such as high voltage or microwaves. I've got people who've got skills in equipment, instrumentation, computational abilities. And I've also got people in my group who complement these more fundamental skills because they've had 10 to 15 years working with industry, those people understand the requirements of industry and help to focus our research to solve the problems that are, that are facing the mining industry. So having these diverse set of skills, I think is really important because it can result in solutions to problems that are not necessarily obvious when you first come into it, to trying to solve a particular problem. So one example of a technology um, that we're investigating that I think has benefited from this diverse range of skills is in microwave processing. Microwaves have the potential to be used for dewatering and dewatering is a really big problem in mineral processing. As I've discussed, we produce a lot of tailings material during mineral processing. We bring up 100 tonnes of and We have to deposit 99 tonnes of that usually in a tailings dam facility. And tailings dams can actually, the material as we deposit it on the tailings dam can actually contain an excessive amount of water because certain materials, it's very hard to get the water out of the the process stream. And this can be very problematic. Too much water in the tailings dam can cause instability. And sadly, that can sometimes result in failure, lots of equipment damage, and in some cases, loss of life. So, being able to solve and being able to dewater material prior to putting it on the tailing scam is, is, a, is a really high priority for the mining industry. So we've been investigating microwaves which have the ability to dewater material and the reason why we're looking at microwaves is that they selectively heat water over solids. So it can be actually a lot more economic than just heating up material using in conventional ovens, etc. But it's still pretty expensive. It's still a lot of energy goes into using the microwave process. But what we've done with having a lot of diverse skills in our group is we've actually identified that we might be able to come up with a hybrid microwave system where we couple it with a different technology. For instance, that we could put microwaves in combination with inverted cyclones so that we only dewater the really fine, difficult, To dewater material using microwaves and use conventional technologies for the oversized material. We also could potentially put microwaves into a conventional dewaterer, such as a centrifuge. And we're also, because we've got flotation specialists in our group, we're seeing that we might also be able to use flotation reagents to assist the dewatering process. By having such a diverse range of skills in the group, we are able to see these connections, these opportunities that we might have missed otherwise.
0: So you've got this team of um, diverse skills and very clever people. And just changing tack a little bit, can you elaborate on some of the challenges associated with uh, achieving effective collaboration in teams like this? So achieving
1: collaboration, especially amongst people who think differently to each other, can be difficult. From my experience, a good collaborative team is based on competence, capability, and developing good relationships within the team members. It's all about developing trust,
0: not only
1: in each other's technical capability, but also that when things might go wrong in the project, that you have each other's back. When things get difficult, you need to consider both the needs of your team, but also your collaborator. So in terms of promoting collaboration between universities in Australia, I'm pretty excited by a new opportunity. Recently, there was a uh, Centre of Excellence that was awarded within Australia to, and it's being led by the University of Newcastle and involves seven different universities around Australia. And the aim of this Centre of Excellence is to do research into mineral beneficiation techniques. So one of the things that I really like about this centre is that each of the different projects has to be done by more than one university. What this is going to do is it's going to promote the association of different researchers from different universities. And it's going to provide an environment where trust can be developed to be able to determine who's good at solving what type of problems, what different skill sets do people have, and finding groups of people that that you like to work with. One of the legacies that I hope will come out of of the Centre of Excellence, the universities in Australia will be much more connected, that the researchers will know each other, and when they're faced with a new problem, that they'll know who to bring in to the team to best meet or solve industry problems moving forward
0: so kim right now as we record the podcast we're in the middle of this covid19 pandemic and coming through and out of this new things are happening and the role of minerals in a sustainable future is likely to be as important even more important than it was uh, before covid19 hit what challenges do you think institutions Such as yours will be facing, and and how are you preparing for this?
1: So, one of our biggest challenges, I think, moving forward in this new environment is loss of funding. I know in previous downturns that we've faced, mining companies tend to change their focus from long term objectives to meeting short term priorities, and often research and funding of research suffers because of that. So, one of the things we did after the last downturn to try and mitigate this risk was to have a larger number of companies that we we're working with, and also to change the style of relationship that we had with our companies. So instead of doing contract research for a company, that we moved towards more of a partnership model, where we work much more closely with them, help them more around their day-to-day activities so that, so that we have a better feel for what are their big challenges they're facing, and so that we can pivot our research with their changing needs. So to give you a bit of an example of that, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we're no longer able to go to Mindsight to assist our customers. And we had planned to go up to a Queensland mine site in about a month's time to do what we call a circuit survey. This is where we take samples, we measure what's going on so that we can provide advice as to how to improve their process. Now, with COVID-19, we can't go to site anymore, so we've had to look for an alternative solution. And what we've done is we've amassed a whole lot of researchers together who have experience in electronics. And we've come up with a way of being able to virtually be on site. So we're going to have cameras on people's hard hats, we're going to have microphones so that they can talk to us in real time, and we're going to have all of this stuff being streamed through Zoom. So we'll be able to see what they see, we'll be able to talk to them in real time, and it'll be virtually like we're on site doing the work with them. So we're hoping that by Having this stronger relationship by being able to change and pivot what we're able to offer the mining industry, it'll minimise any loss of funding. But time
0: will tell how successful we'll be. And you know, some of those new innovations will potentially be a new way of working in the future as we look towards what those next challenges are. I know that you're working across a range of research ideas. And there's a lot of really clever people working with you and in your team and, of course, on the sites where you are. Once these problems are solved, though, what's next? What's the next big challenge? Uh, Where do you see those things taking you in the next half century, the future of the JKMRC, I guess?
1: So you're right, Alice. A a research organisation does need to continue to look ahead and be ready for what might be coming over the horizon. I think the big issue that we're probably gonna need to solve as we move forward, is traditionally we've had these really big mining operations producing uh, and treating large tonnages of ore, producing huge amount of gang that we then need to dispose usually on the surface. Now, I think as we move forward, we're gonna continue demand for minerals, we're gonna get lower grades, and and we're going to be producing a a lot of of tailings material and this is probably going to be not really sustainable as we move forward as people are going to look to us and they're going to want us to reduce our footprint. I think one of the solutions to this is going to be to look to move underground in our operations as much as possible, process as close as possible to the mine face, leave our tailings underground if possible and there's a lot of challenges around being able to do that. So, I think as we continue to do the work that we're doing around solving the present problems, I think we need to be also doing a little bit of research around trying to meet what might be the required way of processing moving into the future.
0: So you've, you've sort of danced around the, the subject of in situ recovery and where that's heading now. Do you see any front-end opportunities for the JK in the in situ space?
1: Yeah, well, you're right. Um, to be able to move closer to the mine face, to keep up things underground, we're probably going to need to look at in situ leach, and, and there's a lot of challenges to overcome to be able to do that effectively. Interestingly, we're looking at some exciting new chemistries and working with other collaborators out at the University of Queensland, exploring ways where you may be able to do that in situ leach in the type of environment that, that you have underground. But It's not only the challenge of being able to perform the in-situ leach. there's all the auxiliaries around that, the fact that you're going to be pumping a lot of material underground, you don't want to lose that into the groundwater, um, and you want to be able to do things in a safe and effective manner. So there's there's a lot of challenges to face as we move to go to in-situ leach. but I think there's some exciting new opportunities that we're looking to undertake.
0: So watch this space. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for chatting to me today. And if you want to find out more about Kim's work, please visit SMI's website. That's smi.uq.edu.au. And if you want to hear or read more about the SMI's work broadly, check out the news and events section on the site. Thanks for your company.